Welcome to episode 92 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the Vault Studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who is ready to crown the New York Jets the next Super Bowl champion, John Scott Sloat. I don't know about that. Uh, I, I think... You know, crown them a five to seven win team. I sure, see. sure. I see. Yeah, there's just a little bounce in your step. Yeah, th- th- yeah. Today because of that, I, I was convinced they were going to tie that game as as I'm watching it go down. Because <laughs> did did you see the end of it? No, I just saw a score. Um, so the end of it uh, ended with the Titans kicker missing a 48, 49 yard field goal, long field goal, but makeable. Make yeah, mi- shanking it um, oh. and uh, missing the field goal. So. I was convinced it was going to end in a tie. That would have been a very Jets thing. That would have been very Jetsian. <laughs> yes, very Jetsian. Yes. Well, before we dive further into our uh, our world of sports here, let's, uh, let's let people know how they can connect with us. You can find us on Twitter at V&SPod. You can email the show, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page and a YouTube channel as well, both of those various and sundry podcasts. And uh, I looked yesterday and did not see any new reviews. Okay. So I'm assuming that's the case. Uh, but if you'd like, it would do us a solid to uh, go on the podcast app or wherever you access us and leave a uh, five-star rating mm-hmm. and a review. So it can be a sarcastic review. It we can, we yes. appreciate some of those. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, just be warned though, if you take a shot at John Sloat, he might fire back on the pod. I think you would fire back as well. <laughs> You're probably right. You're probably right. So, all right. Well, let's dive into it. Your Jets have won their first game this yes. season. So that makes them one and three? Yeah, one and three. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, one and three. Uh, they were down nine nothing to the Titans early and came back and won 27-24. And this was in Tennessee or was it no, in New York? No, this is in MetLife. This okay. is this in well, it New, was New, Jersey. New Jersey. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, because of course they'd play in New Jersey. Well, there's just no more room in New York City, you know. They're just <laughs> okay. out of room. The um so uh, your favorite Mormon must have played well. Yes, yes. Uh, two touchdowns, 300 yards, one interception. It was okay. a good day. Once – was sacked once. OK. Uh, maybe twice. Maybe one in overtime happened. But yeah. OK. That was – it was very exciting. So it's Super Bowl or bust now for the Jets, right? I don't know about that. I think it's – maybe give us two more years and then it's Super Bowl or bust. But okay, that's kind of the dream as Zach Wilson progresses the next two seasons and then while still on his rookie contract, plays amazing – and then we got to pay him through the nose and yeah. and you know cut everybody else. So okay. then you enter mediocrity for the, for a time. Isn't that where you've been for the last? Oh, I'd argue we've been well beneath mediocrity. <laughs> okay, well beneath. I see. Yeah. Okay. Mediocrity, something to aspire to. Yeah. Yeah. Aspire <laughs> to be moderate. Uh, for me, the the other uh, storyline coming out of the NFL this weekend was uh, the Bears and Justin Fields. So everyone was just, I mean, lighting Matt Nagy on fire this mm-hmm. past week. And I think probably for good reason and, and uh, for, for the most part. Yeah. 
Um, but Justin Fields played well, hmm. and uh, the Bears beat the Lions. Not the Lions are not any good, but it's a win, and it looked like Matt Nagy actually thought about calling plays that might play well to Justin Fields' strengths, as opposed to just let's just drop back and put him behind our atrocious offensive line. So yeah, it's just nice to see him uh, play reasonably well. He didn't light it up, but okay. You know, I, I, I was I was pleased, even though I'm not a Bears fan. My interest was more directed towards the college football landscape this past weekend. Shocker. I know. Breaking Shocker. news. Shocker. Uh, okay, so here's the deal. Ohio State beat Rutgers 52-13. to 13. Okay. Like, they, a, like a good routing? They were up 45-6 at the half, and so they kind of called the dogs off. In the yeah, they, they put it in cruise. They, they dropped did. it into neutral. They did. Yeah. Um, but see, now I'm torn, John. Because this is two straight weeks. Now, last week doesn't really count because Akron is probably one of the five worst teams in all of Division One football. So okay. it's not even – I mean, I think you could put a better second team. Like if you took Ohio State's roster and took all the backups and put them out there, mm-hmm. I think they'd beat Akron by three touchdowns. So anyway, this week though, they played Rutgers. Not great, but better, and this is probably as good as Rutgers has been, and here's where I'll put the parenthetical note. Um, Last week, this same Rutgers team only lost by seven at Michigan and had multiple chances inside Mm. the the red zone to tie it in the fourth quarter. Interesting. That's the same team that Ohio State just went to Rutgers and blew the doors off them 52-13. Interesting. So – I'm torn, John, because what I saw this weekend made, is me, hope kindling made, in your made heart? me think, oh, gosh, maybe there's hope. <laughs> and I, I'm not sure I want that. Well, who do they have this week? Maryland. Another, okay. another game where they're favored by three touchdowns. Okay. So we need a test. When's the next test? Well, then they get a bye and then they play uh, – I think it's a bye the next week. And then they play at Indiana. Which going into the year, you thought that could be a challenge. That could game. be a good game. Indiana's yeah. fallen on hard times. So it's probably not until they play Penn State. The last – I think it's the 30th of October they play Penn State. But they play them at home. But Penn State's currently ranked fourth. OK. So who knows what they'll be ranked by then. But um, we'll get a better sense. But the defense actually looks like people are lining up in the correct spots mm-hmm. and they know what they're doing. They seem like they're doing less substituting, which was a problem before, which felt like they were running like too many guys in to try to get them experience mm-hmm. and figure things out. So um, a, a, a lot of people within the Ohio State fan base are trying to draw the parallels back to 2014, the year that they lost to Virginia Tech early in the year and then ran the table and won the national championship. I'm saying let's pump the brakes and <laughs> talk. So. Um, side note, uh, who, who is the coach at Michigan right now? Is this still Jim? Oh yeah. Have you ever Jim heard? Khaki Harbaugh? Yes. I, I have, I feel like every year we're at least talking about Jim Harbaugh at some point. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm just not hearing anything about Jim. Well, it's because they're, what are they now? 4-0, 5-0, They've not lost. So why, why are we hearing, oh, Michigan? Oh. Um, I, I think because. 
people have been down this road before with Michigan in the Jim Harbaugh era, and, where they and start not off ready to be hurt again. Where they where they start off and they're like, oh, Michigan's four and zero, five and zero, and then they run into issues and finish, you know, eight and four, hmm. and lose to Ohio State by four touchdowns. Like, then it's like, yep, see, we, we we've seen this movie before. Okay. So I think it's going to take them beating somebody. Like even this year, they've not beaten anybody. Like Rutgers might have been their best win. Ooh. Exactly. So um, yeah, we'll see about that. Uh, I did want to hit on other uh, college football news. Um, I, here's where I'm going to toot my own horn. Cincinnati beat Notre Dame. Yeah, you kind of called that. I called that. I called my shot. And it came to pass. And in fact, that was a game where Cincinnati basically dominated that game. They won 24 – it 24-13 I think was the final. But it, that was even one of those games where it was like it wasn't even that close. Hmm. They were, I think Cincinnati was up 17-0 at one point. So they just, they just dominated Notre Dame, exposed them. Brought a little smile to my face. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Why can we can we dive into the Notre Dame hate a little bit? Sure. Why 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 hate Notre Dame so much? Win something meaningful. Okay. They've not won a bowl game against a like a, a like, like a big time bowl game since the mid nineties. So the mid nineties, John. Is it? I, I understand. Is it? Is it the fans? Is it? You know, is it that they they're always on network television every every week? Um, do you, do you think they get more hype than they deserve? Yes. Like, like okay, okay. So I you, think that's a big piece of it. Do you find the fans annoying generally? Uh, well, ev- every fan base has its idiot fringe annoy, and and the, then the annoying folks. Like every fan base. Okay. Every fan base. I'm assuming even the Jets. No, we have to have fans <laughs> to have an annoying fan base. Every major college football program fan base has its idiot lunatic fringe. Okay. And then has the large uh, par- population of annoying people mm-hmm. who um, like to strut about their program even when it's not warranted. Is it because we're in proximity? You feel like you run into more of those types? Oh, oh yeah. I mean we're an hour from South Bend. So, so you see more more of those people. Yes, yes, and um, I think I I have them on my social media feed. People that I follow for other reasons, but you know, on Twitter, like to you know, I'm not saying this is true of all Notre Dame fans. I'm just saying, I, I there, there is a there is an arrogance about Notre Dame football that might have been warranted 50 years ago, but is no longer warranted. And yet they have their own NBC contract. Yeah. They, they play – they're an independent and they think they just deserve to be in the playoff if like, like – They have Mike Tirico calling all their games. Yeah, they do. I like and, Mike Tirico. And, and, uh, and Drew Brees is in the And Drew Brees now. was in the booth this yeah. weekend. Yeah. 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 That, that's a great tandem. I like those two together. That was a lot yes. of fun. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's the kind of thing where I just – you know, they've made the college football playoff – once and got and got blown out, and they and they lost. That was that last year. That was last year to to Alabama. Now, of course, Ohio State lost to that same Alabama. Sure. Team. So, but Ohio State's won two national championships in the last twenty years. Notre Dame has won zero. Um, 
Do you think it's because you're an Ohio State fan and very, particularly on Twitter, quite vocal Ohio State fan that that you hear from it? Because I, I don't like, think I'm very vocal on Twitter about about, I, about Ohio State. Because football, I, but. I don't hear, I don't hear anything from Notre Dame fans. But I, I don't have a dog in the fight, you know. Right. Is, is that the reason? Probably. Because you're talking about the, the arrogance of the Notre Dame. Yeah. I don't feel like I see it. But you're also not in the college football. I'm not in the college football world. Yeah. Yeah. So you think I'm just I'm just I, I, missing it? I just think you're not in that you're not in the arena to see it. Okay, that's all. Okay, thank um, you for explaining that to me. Yeah, you're welcome. You're <laughs> welcome. Glad to do it. Um, I mean, you're kind of provoking me here. You know, I came in salty. I came into the studio <laughs> salty, and now you're just poking at me, <laughs> just trying to get me to be salty on air, and it's working. It's working. Um, around, uh, around the rest of the college football world, something else, a couple other things I wanted to hit on was um, the uh, Clemson dropping out of the top 25, even though they won. Huh. Um, I'm so sad about that. Uh, Oklahoma muddled through again and survived. They're still unbeaten. Arkansas got exposed. They were ranked number eight and got blasted by Georgia, 37 nothing, and, you know, Texas A&M is also not ranked. So some of the school, like, some I, of the I have no ill will yeah. towards Arkansas. It was just one of those, oh, they're in the SEC, and they've won a few games, and, they, and they're like 3-0 and or 4-0. Let's put them in the top 10. And then they play a real team like Georgia and get embarrassed. Yeah. Um, Texas A&M is perpetually overrated. They're no longer in the top 25. So that's good news. Glad to see that. The Mets got eliminated from the playoffs yeah, I, I don't two know. and a half weeks ago. I don't know anything about the baseball playoffs. The regular season's over now, correct? Yeah, it ended yesterday. Yep. Okay. Sunday. Sunday, it ended Sunday. Yeah. Yep. So I assume I, – I don't even remember how the playoff structure works anymore. Like, Do they have the like the one-game play-in for like the wild cards? Yeah, I can't remember. They changed it last year for uh, the pandemic, and I can't remember if they're keeping their changes or if they reverted back. I feel like they may have kept it. So there may be a full series uh, that we can anticipate here. I thought I heard that the Yankees and the Red Sox are playing each other. In a, in a one-off? In a one-off. But I could be wrong. Oh, then then that's probably right because that sounds beautiful. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I I don't even know what to say about baseball. I, I, I will probably pay attention. Like I, I do like playoff baseball yeah. because of the the intensity, the drama, the, the the magnitude of it. Oh yeah, and it's kind of nice to have meaningful baseball mm-hmm. on during the day. It's kind of nice. Yeah. So yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. But Kevin Burkhart runs the in-house studios or the the uh, the in-studio broadcast. Okay. Yeah, I, li- that, I like that, Kevin Burkhart. I, mean, I know you've got your man yeah. crush on. I him. like Kevin Burkhart. I like yeah. him when he calls Fox games that I get to watch. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, speaking of things that should not make me salty, let's talk the parables. <laughs> yeah. So we're working our way through uh, as I give Doc a moment to compose himself. Um, <laughs> Doing some deep um, breathing over here. <laughs> uh, we've been working our way. Uh, we, we did an episode just generally about parables. We did the parable of the sower, which is really the uh, the 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 parable to read all parables, right? Right. It kind of gives us the key and the lens to to be able yeah. to look at uh, the rest of the parables. And today we're going to uh, perhaps the most famous parable. Is that a fair statement? 
Maybe. It's up yeah, there. It's up there. Um, the prodigal of, uh, or the, gosh, the parable of the prodigal sons. Plural, yes. Plural. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Good um, stuff. So, uh, Doc, where can we find uh, this parable and what – I mean, you're writing a commentary on Luke, so you know all things Luke. Uh, what, what's going on in the context here? What's what's happening? Yeah. So um, just to clarify, I don't know all things Luke, but I am, I am writing a commentary on Luke. I'm not to Luke 15 yet, but I have, I have taught and preached this passage several times. But uh, the parable of the prodigal sons is found in Luke 15, starting in verse uh, 11 mm-hmm. and going through the end of the chapter. I think it's verse 32. And <clears throat> this is a great example of a parable where the literary context is very important to understanding what's going on with the parable. Yeah. So before we actually read the text, I, I think it would be good for us to set the stage for the literary context of the parable of the prodigal sons. So in Luke chapter 15, uh, it begins with this, uh, these first two verses. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, him being Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. What follows then is a series of parables. The parable of the prodigal sons is actually the third in that series. So Jesus tells these parables in response to these religious leaders grumbling about him spending time with receiving and welcoming sinners. The first parable is the parable of the lost sheep. Mm-hmm. So a man has 100 sheep, loses one, goes to search for it, finds it, there's rejoicing. The next parable is the parable of the lost coin. A woman has 10 gold coins. She loses one of them, 10 silver coins, loses one, searches for it, finds it, and she rejoices. So these two parables establish a pattern that's going to help us see what's going on in the third parable, the parable of the prodigal sons. That pattern is something valuable is lost, someone searches for it, it is found, and there's rejoicing. And there's a calling together of friends and neighbors for this rejoicing in each of the parables. Yes. Yes. So not just personal rejoicing, Mm -hmm. but inviting others to celebrate with uh, at the uh, recovery of what was lost. Okay, um, so I think that I think that's good enough to set the, the stage for what we're doing here. You ready to uh, go ahead and read through? Yeah, yeah. How about how about we do this? Well, do you want to read through the whole thing, or do you want to just read through the first break? What What do you think? Um, I can read through the first break. I think that sounds. Uh, you You mean to verse uh, twenty four there through twenty four? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Why don't I read that and then we can talk about that portion. Sure. And then we can we can read the, the back half. Okay. Okay. Uh, and he, Jesus, uh, said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Uh, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had uh, and took a journey into a far country, 
and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, uh, a severe famine arose in the country, and uh, he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country uh, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing uh, to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Uh, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose uh, and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Okay. Yeah, this is... uh this this part of the parable I think is probably the parable that traditionally has received the most um, attention. Sure. Yeah. Especially even in popular culture. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe there's been a little bit more balance in some sort of church circles. But if you ask uh, someone who doesn't go to church about uh, you know the parable of the prodigal son, they almost. Th- there's almost no doubt they will remember this part of the story. Mm-hmm. You've got the younger son um, going off, blowing through his inheritance, and then reckless back. living. Yes, yes, and in fact, uh, I mean, I think there's there's a lot of interesting historical, cultural background stuff going on in this parable. But you know, one piece of it is think about this. How, what was wealth based on in the ancient world? It was land and property, mm-hmm. yeah. not like – not as much cash. Yeah. It, so was, in, it was very illiquid. Right. So in order for the father to even grant this request, he probably would have had to sell some things in order to liquidate mm-hmm. his belongings to give the younger son his one-third of the inheritance that he was entitled to. In the ancient world, the older son got a double portion. Mm-hmm. But in effect, this guy is saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. I can't wait until you're dead. Can you just get me my uh, my inheritance, please? And the father grants the request. Seemingly very graciously. Yes. Yeah. Not, not, not a big fight ensued or, any, or anything like yeah. that. Seemingly. Right. Right. And yeah, the, the the text goes out of way out of the way to note um, he spent his money on uh, reckless living. Yeah, that's a great. Uh, that, that just makes me think of fundamentalism. <laughs> you know, you know, like, like was he playing cards? Yeah, was he playing cards? <laughs> I mean, did he see movies? Like, what 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 was he really uh, doing? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
but it's uh, obviously his, uh, uh, you know, as as we might say, my how the how the turns have tabled, right? Yeah. Eventually, there the uh, uh, it comes to the point where he's blown through his money, and then there's a famine, and the guy who was the life of the party suddenly is destitute, mm-hmm. and he hits rock bottom. What is it that he does that make that demonstrates he's hit rock bottom? Uh, he he's longing after food that pigs have. Yes, yes. Uh, something that would have been, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. A ceremonially unclean for him to from the do is is working and being with with pigs. Yeah, absolutely. Right? As, for, as a good Jew, as a good as a good Jewish man, you know, not that he's actually living as a good Jewish man. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, yeah, but this is one of those things that is kind of one of the non-negotiables of mm-hmm. Jewish identity is you, you you don't associate with pigs. You certainly don't eat pork or anything like that. Um, yeah, I'll I'll resist the temptation to tell a funny story that could get me in trouble. So <laughs> anyway, um, since I'm so salty, I should probably use some stronger discretion mm. there. Um, but so he's hit rock bottom, right? But he comes to his senses. He repents. He has this sort of awakening moment where as he's feeding the pigs, he thinks, gosh, my father's hired help has it better than me right now. And in fact, when you look at even the wording of the text uh, in verse 17, but when he came to himself – yeah, it's like he has this aha moment where he's probably you know looking around and like, what am I doing? You know that 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 eye opening moment of look at where my sin has gotten me. Yeah, this is awful. What am I doing? What happened to me? And he comes up with this uh, elaborate elaborate's maybe a strong word, but like he, he kind of has this like okay, I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna ask my throw myself on my father's mercy mm-hmm. and hope. At best, that he'll treat me like a hired hand. Not even welcome me back as a son. Just give me a place to stay, food to eat, and some work to do. And if I can just get him to agree to that. It'll be a coup. It'll be a big win for yeah. me. Yeah. So what happens when he gets back? Uh, father runs out, greets him. And why is that unusual? Why is that maybe unexpected? I. If, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, men didn't really run uh, in that culture, particularly of a, of, mm-hmm. of a certain age. Uh, yeah. They did. They were seen as juvenile. Yeah. Um, and so he he runs out to him, shows his exuberance uh, yes. that that uh, that he's excited to see his son. Yeah. Return. And, and the text even notes when he was far away. Mm-hmm. So it's not. So it almost gives the impression of maybe the father's watching. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's looking, looking out onto the horizon, like. Is he coming back? Is he coming back? And when he spots his son, he sprints up to him and does all these things essentially to welcome him back. But one of the things that always strikes me is um, some people will say, well, is this really repentance? Because the the son never finishes his speech, right? The, the sort of speech he had planned in his head was, um, I have sinned. Uh, I've sinned against heaven and before you. That's an important note. Mm-hmm. You see, he gets it. That's he he he. That's part of his repentance. Yeah, it's not just I've done wrong by my father. It's I've offended God here. 
Yes. I, I recognize that I've sinned against God and against my father. Uh, and he, when, when the son comes to his father, he barely gets out, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then the father just interrupts him and is like, it's party time, folks. Yes. You're yes. back. Mm-hmm. You're back. Puts a robe on him, puts a ring on his yeah, finger. All symbols yeah. of honor and welcome and, and prestige and all that sort of stuff. I want to draw attention to, to two more things here before we move on to the next section. This is no accidental language. Look at how the father describes the return in verse 24. For this my son was dead, dead. Yeah. and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I think that's very intentional language. Mm-hmm. Like he was, you know, to, to extrapolate, like he was dead. Like, like he was gone and, you know, staying within the world of the parable. Who knows what, what his father thought? Sure. Like, yeah. He's probably off dead in a ditch somewhere. Like what? Who, who knows? Like he's wasted his money. There's a famine. Someone, you know, got into a bar fight. He got mm-hmm. killed. No idea. Yeah. And the, the lost and found would yeah. hearken back to the earlier parables about the lost sheep, right. lost coin. Yeah. So understood within the context of the gospel, it's hard not to see resurrection there. Mm-hmm. That even conversion is a form of resurrection, right? Mm. Yeah. So they celebrate. And based on the pattern that we've come to see up to this point, you kind of expect, and they all lived happily ever after. Mm-hmm. And then next thing you know, it's like, but wait, there's more. So let's read the rest of the story now, starting in verse 25 and going through verse 32. Yeah, now his older son was in the field. And as he drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked uh, what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf uh, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out uh, and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a goat uh, that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours uh, came, uh, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf uh, for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Okay. This is the part of the story that I think is often forgotten about because oftentimes when we talk about the parable of the prodigal son, singular, we think of the younger son mm-hmm. goes off. He's totally lost. He repents. He comes back. Father welcomes him. There's a party. woo Right? Yeah. And even when we use that uh, – when we, I think when we talk about this parable, that's what we tend to think of first and foremost. But I would argue – that's not even the primary emphasis of Jesus telling this parable, mm-hmm. that the focus is actually on the older son. Um, 
and there's just lots of fascinating features about this, but I think the most noteworthy one is the fact that Jesus ends the parable without resolving it. Yes. Meaning the the question is just sort of there to the older son, basically like, are you going to come in or not? Mm-hmm. And then Jesus, it's like the curtain closes and the audience is left with, well, did he go in? <laughs> we don't know. Yeah. But that's the beauty of understanding it in the context because in the context, Jesus is identifying that older son with the Pharisees and the religious leaders who are grumbling. From verse 1. From verse 1, yes. Who are grumbling about the fact that Jesus welcomes sinners and tax collectors. They, they, he welcomes younger brothers. Yes. He, he, he invites them in. He welcomes the prodigal back and, and does so with celebration, mm-hmm. not begrudgingly, but with celebration. And that's where that pattern even helps establish uh, what to expect in the earlier parables, right? Something's lost. Something's found. There's celebration and you get that. But then suddenly there's somebody who's not celebrating. Mm-hmm. It's this older brother. And I always find it striking how um, when when the older brother finally speaks in verse um, 29, is it? Yeah, verse 29. Um, he talks about serving his father these many years. Verse 30, when this son of yours came. Yes. So not my brother. When my brother – no, no, no. It's that son of yours. He's essentially distancing himself, disowning his brother. But then when the father responds to him, he says um, in verse 32, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. Mm-hmm. He was lost and is found. Mm-hmm. So the father says, no, 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 no. You're not going to get off the hook that easy. He is your brother. Mm-hmm. You can't distance yourself from him. So um, anything else that stands out in that last section there before maybe we kind of draw some Yeah. Um, maybe just one other thing. Uh, it seems that the, the, the father has like basically all his hired hands, everybody he mm-hmm. can find is joining this celebration. Yeah. This older son like – no, no, no. Why, why haven't you given anything like that to me right. for me to celebrate with my friends? You know, you know there, there's sort of a like, I, I want to limit this. I want to I mm-hmm. keep this small. I want to, uh, I want to uh, uh, shield myself from everybody else. I, I, I don't want to be celebrating with everybody else. Yeah. And even it's interesting the, the language that the son uses, right? These many years I have served you. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. He's he's framing his relationship with his father in a master – almost in a master-slave yes. framework mm-hmm. rather than a father-son context. Um, OK. So he, here's a question. Okay. We talked earlier about the, the uh, pattern that the earlier parables establish. Now, your boy, Timmy Kay – when he teaches on this parable in his excellent book, The, the Prodigal God, yep, we've already talked in a previous episode about whether that's maybe the best title. But in any case, <laughs> um, your boy Timmy Kay says 
if you look at the pattern from the previous parables, you had something's lost, someone looks for it, mm -hmm. it's found, and then there's rejoicing. Well, in this parable, you have the something's lost, but no one goes to look for it. Mm -hmm. It's still found, the sun comes back, Yes, and then there's celebration. So from that, Timmy K sprinkles his magic pixie dust and he says, well, the older brother should have gone. It was the older brother's responsibility to go look for the younger son. And part of what this parable is showing us is that we have a better older brother, that Jesus is the ultimate older brother who goes into a far country and searches for the prodigal. The true and, older brother. I believe and, he, and brings yeah. him home. Yeah, the true older brother, I believe he calls yeah. him. Do you agree? I like that. I, I do. I'm, I'm, I hear you saying this. I hear the setup like you're going to disagree, but I, I, I really like that uh, in, in interpretation. I, I think the pattern's there. Mm -hmm. I think it's hard to deny the patterns there. Okay. What, what are your thoughts? I'm not so sure. You want to pump the brakes on that? I do. Okay. There's nothing that's theologically untrue about what, what Keller does there. Sure. Says. It comes down to an interpretive issue of he's making that conclusion based on the pattern of the previous parables, mm -hmm. which is fair. However, nowhere in the parable itself is the older brother rebuked for not going to look. Mm. When the father confronts him, it's not, you were supposed to go look for him. Yeah. It's, you're not even, you're not willing to celebrate that he's back. So that makes me hesitant to put a lot of weight on that kind of interpretation when there's no explicit rebuke of the older brother in hmm. the parable itself. So I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying, hmm. I mean, I love the picture. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I love the, the, the sort of Christological emphasis there. But I'm just hesitant to put too much weight on that pattern from the previous two parables when there's no direct rebuke to the older brother of, and you didn't even bother going to look for him. The rebuke seems to be more about the celebration. It is about the celebration. It is about the celebration. Or even more so, his sour attitude about the celebration. Right. And even in the first part of the parable, there's no like, but his older brother refused to go look for him or something mm -hmm. like that. Like, So I don't know. That That's just what makes me want to at least tap the brakes and go, Maybe, but I don't know. Have you have you preached? I, I know you've taught this passage many, mm -hmm. many, many times. Uh, do you teach that? Do you mention that as like an option? Do, like how do you handle that? Kind of depends what day it is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Whether you're feeling a little Presbyterian that exactly, day or not. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, at times, I have mentioned it as as a sort of, and maybe just maybe, Jesus is making this additional point, mm -hmm. and then throw it out there. So I I. I I, I do it as a, this might be there. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I land with that. Hmm. Um, in the younger brother's repentance, something I was thinking about, uh, when he goes, I've sinned against heaven and against you, um, do you think he's like echoing David's repentance in the Psalms a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Is, 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 that, a, is that in the realm? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, it could be from, you know, from his up, upbringing. 
Yeah, he would have. He would have known those. Yeah, known known the Psalms and even known the story of of David's uh, transgression with Bathsheba and killing Uriah and Psalm fifty one and Psalm thirty two. So yeah, I think that's entirely possible. Okay. So uh, it's a rich parable, but uh, I do think we need to be careful when we teach it to put the emphasis where the emphasis is in the context. And mm-hmm. it's more on the rebuke to the older brother and the failure to rejoice than it is on, isn't it amazing that the that the younger brother comes back and the father welcomes him? As true and glorious as that is, mm-hmm. I think the emphasis falls on the older brother. And the grumbling, and, right? right. Yeah. I mean, he's re- it's really a, right. a, a parable about the... Well, and sometimes when I teach on this, I like to say... What part of what this parable shows is that there's two ways to be lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can be lost and know it, which is what the younger brother yeah. is, or you can be lost and not know it, and that's probably the worst scenario. I mean, um, you know, you think about if you're driving somewhere, if you're lost but you know you're lost, at least you're at a point where you're like, I got to figure out where, what turn I need to make, what direction I need to go. Mm-hmm. But if you're lost heading the wrong direction but don't realize it, that's terrible. You yeah, know? <laughs> that's 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 no good. <laughs> that's no good. So um, any other – we got to wrap this up. So any other final thoughts on on the parable of the prodigal sons? I mean we, I, we could talk all day. So yeah. no, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there. Uh, in addition to the books we've recommended as resources for uh, the other parables, we would – Points you to uh, Tim Keller's book, mm-hmm. The Prodigal God. He this the whole book is about this parable. Yeah, so we'd recommend uh, a look at that. So, okay, so John, we are at episode ninety-two, and we need an athlete. Okay, um, I'll I'll go ahead and list them off for us. Uh, we have some good ones. Uh, Reggie White. Yes, I remember Reg, the Reverend. Yeah, yeah, I remember him with the the Packers specifically. Yeah, started with the Eagles, but then was a big free agent pickup for the Packers and was part of their uh, Super Bowl team in 96. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's quite good. Uh, Michael Strahan? Yeah. You know, it's funny when I uh, did the – when I – you know, I come up with – I find the list and then I, you know, Google the name to, to typically go to their Wikipedia page to find out sure. specific details. And when you start typing into Google Michael Strahan, the dropdown that comes up is American television personality, mm-hmm. not football player. Because he's – doesn't he – he hosts uh, – or he's part of the – is it Good Morning America? He, he It feels like he's on everything. So he's been on Good Morning America. He okay. was on – he took Regis Philbin's spot okay. on Regis, Regis and Kelly. Kelly. Or you, you used yeah. to be Regis and Regis and Kathleen, yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, he was on there with Kelly Ripa. Um, and I want to say he was on one other thing. He had a reality show maybe at one point. Wouldn't surprise me. Um, but yeah, the, he's one of those guys that has turned his football career into a great television career. Oh, absolutely. He's on Fox Sunday now as well. Anyway, he's yeah. doing everything. Yep. Um, James Harrison. Defensive end for the Steelers. Yeah. Scary human. And might be – I mean one of his most famous plays is he had that uh, interception oh, yeah. in the Super Bowl against the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. At the end of the first half, the Cardinals are like the five-yard line and uh, he picks off Kurt Warner and runs it back all the way for a touchdown right before the half. And needed need oxygen when he got there. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. It was one of those plays where it's like, oh, he's looking to, he's looking to lateral that, you yeah. know. There you go. Uh, Ohio State's entry here, Adolphus Washington was a defensive end. from What a good name. Yeah, great name. From 2012 to 2015, was an All-American, ended up being drafted by the Bills. So who you got, John? It's hard for me to go against Reggie White. I agree. I agree. When he retired or he's either – I think now he's no longer the all-time leading sack or he was he's, – he's either first or second. Him and Bruce Smith are kind of like up okay. there in terms of all-time leading sacks in uh, NFL history. So um, sadly, he died of a – remember, he died of like a heart condition that wasn't diagnosed. It was undiscovered or yeah. something. Yeah. yeah. OK. One thing we liked. Uh, yesterday on Sunday, I got to go to uh, one of my former students and, and, and good friend – uh, Joel in Ohio. Yes. Um, Shout out to Joel in Ohio. Yes. Uh, Does he listen to the pod? Do we even know? I have no clue. <laughs> um, I guess we'll find out. Um, <laughs> but uh, but he uh, was just installed as a, as a pastor last night. And so yes. that was very exciting to go uh, hear, uh, hear about his ministry there and to see yes. the church and to and see Zach in Ohio. Zach in Ohio led the service yeah. and that was wonderful. And it was, yeah. it was good to be there. Yes. Very excited for Joel. Um, uh, yeah, he was a great student and a former basement dweller, cave yeah. dweller in the Harmon household. So, shout out to Joel. My one thing I liked, and you know, you knew this coming in. I, I, I'm trying to come up with some like vague, generic title to capture all of this, but um, this weekend was a great opportunity to um, to see a good number of people mm-hmm. that I really enjoyed. So. Um, and to meet uh, – so we had Dan Wallace on campus. Dan Wallace, famous New Testament scholar, uh, one of the foremost experts on, on Greek grammar in the world. Um, twice over. Yeah, twice over. Uh, so I got to spend a lot of time with him. But also this weekend, because it was a homecoming weekend, we had um, some alumni back including Kim Kroll, one of our uh, former students who was in our small group. Mm-hmm. Um, and is now a professor at Grand Canyon in philosophy and religion, I think. So yeah, yeah. Um, Kim in Arizona. Kim in Arizona. Arizona. There you go. I have no idea if she listens to the podcast. I guess it's probably not. <laughs> um, and then my uh, my older son brought two of his housemates home this weekend for them to hang out one on a lake for them to get to see kind of where he grew up and have fun here. So it was fun to have all of them in the house. So I know that's more than one thing, but hey, it's my program so your weekend you know that, <laughs> my I, weekend that's there right that's how yeah. that's how you get it to one thing at the end of the day it's still our program we can do yeah what we, we can want. do we can do what we want yeah, yeah pretty much it's the days of the judges right um okay we got to wrap this up uh, we're already this day's been blown off course by uh oh yeah we're we're we're, what, yeah, we're at sea yeah i've got a student waiting for me who's probably been waiting 15 or 20 minutes now so all to serve our listeners so we have talked um Football, we've talked parable of the prodigal sons, plural. Yep. We've talked about Reggie White. And we've talked about um, alumni off succeeding, following God's call in their life and uh, getting to follow that. And all kidding aside, that is one of the great joys of of being in our profession is to train these young men and women and then see them go out and see God use them in fabulous ways. Mm -hmm. Well, 
we got to call this thing, right? Mission yeah, accomplished? I think so. Okay. That's what it is. And so until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.